Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2020. My name is Amato, he, him, and with me are... Tori, they, them. Sue, she, her. Sue, thank you so much for joining us today. How many light years did you have to travel and how many years of a journey was it? (laughs) Um, It feels like a a very long journey. It's been a long road. Um, (laughs) uh, You know... How, 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 what? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that was just banter. It, it had no point in particular. But I just, I couldn't make numbers come out of my mouth. <laughs> so let's just, let's go with 42. <laughs> I guess what I should have saved that joke for was for asking for your background in, in Star Trek, which we'll get to in just a moment. But I'd also like to say that you've already provided a lot more help to the podcast than most of our guests that I invite do, because you not only have come on to talk, but you suggested the fanfic that we're talking about today, <laughs> thus taking more of the work off of my back. Well, I, I was a little bit surprised that that you were into it, because full disclosure, uh, the author of this fanfic over the years has become a very good friend of mine. Um, but that is, uh, when we when we get to Star Trek The Next Generation, that is true for most of the authors of Picard Crusher fanfiction at this point <laughs> in my life. <laughs> well, as long as you're okay with that friendship ending today, no problem. <laughs> Picard Crusher fanfiction. Mm-hmm. I assume that applies to Picard Beverly and Picard Wesley, right? No. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. <laughs> All right. Well... Since it's, it's something of a lead-in, how about, could you tell us a little bit about your background with Star Trek, I guess, in general, but Next Generation in particular, because that seems to be one of your things. Sure, yeah, I was a, a Next Gen kid. You know, I, I grew up with it. I That was my first Star Trek. That is still the Star Trek that I go back to when, like, when I just say Star Trek, and I'm not referring to the whole franchise, I'm talking about the Next Generation. Um, and something about Beverly Crusher made me uh, connect with that character right off the bat. And that, that is still the case today. Favorite character, hands down, across all media. Like what uh, age are you reason- talking about when you kind of identified with her? Uh, so Next Gen started when I was four or five. And I would say by the end of the series, I this is a real thing. I insisted to that I needed to wear something blue every day so that I would be wearing science's uniform colors. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it was it was intense. Um and it was around, you know, 6th 7th grade that my my family got on the internet and my older brother introduced me to um news groups which led me to fan fiction. And I would say by, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, it's pretty safe to say that I had read nearly every uh, Picard Crusher fan fiction that was on the internet at the time. This is a, an interesting pairing because it's like implied so much in the series. And I don't know if they ever actually officially get together in the show. They go on dates. Um, they go on like official dates, right? But yeah. not like date dates. Right. Which makes this especially satisfying to like see them come together. And I <laughs> grew up with Next Gen too, but I always, I love Crusher, but 
I didn't realize until I was reading this, like how much I really do like her. Like what a strong, cool woman she is in the show. I always identified more with Picard and then sort of also had a crush on him. So, yeah. yeah. But looking back, I'm like, you know, Beverly's awesome. <laughs> like she's a real <laughs> badass. It's interesting. Uh, we It's been a long, long time since we talked about Next Gen Tori. I think the only story we've done was like episode five or something way, way back there. And that was a Sailor Moon Star Trek crossover. So mm-hmm. it was wow. like less, less Beverly Crusher and that kind of stuff. <laughs> but Next Gen was also like the Star Trek of my childhood, but I didn't actually watch it very much. It was just kind of like something in the background culturally. And like my dad would watch it sometimes. And I didn't really have any particular attachment to the characters except that I think like I said uh, last time however many years ago you would occasionally run into the, like which captain is better argument and like as part of our generation I was just like what are you talking about clearly Picard is way way more awesome than Kirk like how is this an argument why are people talking about this right <laughs> I know that that's not even a debate if you're talking Picard versus Kirk in my opinion <laughs> but people well people have made it a debate though I mean, that's what Star Trek fans do. Right. And, you know, I would even say Janeway and Cisco are fine, but Picard is, there's still something about him that, like, he's very charismatic. Part of that's just Patrick Stewart. Yeah. I- I've got to say, it definitely added to reading next-gen, you know, fanfic, that I can imagine Patrick Stewart delivering the lines, and it improves all of them all the time. I think that's one of the measures of a writer who understands the characters they're writing is that you can hear the the words they say in the character's voice that that just shows that they understand the characterization that they understand the motivations and the the emotional state of the characters because i've i've definitely read some fanfics where it's like i i would never expect that character to say that and certainly not phrase it that way that's yeah. true yeah you that's do write much that what- what I was going to say is that it was not to jump ahead too much, but in this story, it's easy to imagine every character saying these lines. Like the author clearly had a good grasp on the characters' voices. Well, before we talk about the story itself, while we're still kind of talking about Sue and your background with Star Trek, yeah. you are involved in an ongoing Star Trek related project that why don't you plug up front here and then also in the back end? Oh, sure. So uh, I'm one of the hosts of Women at Warp. We are a feminist Star Trek podcast on the Roddenberry Podcasting Network. And um, we have seven hosts who rotate. We've got three or four of us usually on each episode or so. And we do everything from character analysis to episode analysis to fan history and uh, all, all these sorts of things talking about really all aspects of the Star Trek universe. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't the author of this fanfic go on as a guest on your podcast at some point? Yes, yeah. Uh, We've done two episodes on fanfiction. We sort of did a a vaguely distinguished of pre-internet and internet age uh, fanfiction. And this author, B.A. Lopez, came on uh, our our internet era uh, episode, which was part two so far. And... um, if you don't mind me telling the story a little bit, uh, this was this this story was like the Picard Crusher story for a long time. This is the one you recommended to people. This is the one that everybody talked about, and 
you know, years later, because I had joined message groups and, and there was there was one called Bonk. We can go into that later, but that's where I, I met a lot of these authors and became friends with them over the years. And, you know, years later, I, I met her at an event in person for the first time. And she uses a different name in person than she does on her fan fiction. It's just a nickname. But when it finally clicked in my brain, it, there was definitely a moment of, oh my God, you're B.A. Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we still laugh about it to the point where it's it's silly how much there was like hero worship there for a long time. <laughs> Very cool. Well, uh, where can we find your podcast? Oh, yeah, that's important, isn't it? <laughs> you can find us at uh, womenatwarp.com. Or Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'll have the handle Women at Warp. That's great. And yeah, we've listened to, I know at least our editor Dom and I have listened to at least some of your podcasts. And it's really interesting. And it's really cool having so many voices and so many female yeah. voices like talking about these issues. Thanks. That's that's the goal. Um, yeah. Um, I was just curious on that front. Have you ever addressed the fact that in the first couple episodes in the first season of Next Gen, there are people who appear to be coded as men walking around in the short skirt uniforms in the background? Because that has always been one of the things I want people to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we have we've talked about uniforms and costuming, costuming, excuse mm. me, a little bit, but not specifically done an episode on the scant. Although the the scant the the TNG scant uniform is very very popular in in next gen <laughs> fandom. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, just thinking about next gen really takes me back. Um, <laughs> and I I haven't had a chance to listen to your podcast, but it sounds like it sounds awesome. Honestly, and sounds like you guys have been doing that for a while. Yeah, we just passed uh, five years this past spring. That's amazing. Wow, that's really impressive for a podcast. <laughs> well, we're only every other week, so that, that helps quite a bit. But um, one of the things, if we want to get podcast specific, uh, one of the things that I, I might be proudest of uh, having podcasted before Women at Warp as well is that in that time, we have never missed a release date. Knock on wood. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely something to be proud of. Absolutely. I hope you can keep it up. We're, we're, we're also every other week these days. We used to be every week, but it's tough to keep that up forever. It's a lot, yeah. Uh, now, as for the fanfic, one of the things about it most immediately is, um, how do you say the name? Because I, I have not needed to say it out loud yet. So I'm not entirely sure. It is Latin. And right. I tried even looking up pronunciations, and I believe it is Audactor ire. That's what I would have guessed, but I was not at all sure. Audactor ire. That's what we'll go with. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, the author clarifies that it means to boldly go in Latin, so. Right. So we could just call it to boldly go, you mean? We translate could, it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if we're having trouble. Or AI. AI. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like that. It's like a double entendre. Mm. Except there's very I mean, little data in this. So. Well, yeah. well, the data that there is, I actually really, really like some of the data content in the back end of this, yes. which we'll get to. Um, but anyway, Audactor Ire, one thing you told me about it is that there's multiple versions of the story, right? Mm-hmm. I ended up reading one that's hosted on a BC uh, 
wait, not BC, PC, Picard Crusher fanfiction archive on Tripod. And that's okay. just the one that I found first, which is apparently the non-R-rated version. Oh. Okay. Yeah, that's the uh, one I read too, because I got the link from Amato. <laughs> but maybe I should have checked in with you to see if there was a like more, uh, I don't know, more better version. Yeah, so the way that... Um, I'm, I'll just use her name because she used it on the podcast. The way that sure. Dinda wrote this is um, so that the the explicit scenes, if you will, could be pulled out. So it was archived as a PG story in some places and as an NC-17 story in others. So if you are reading the, the PG edition, uh, you shouldn't miss any plot, really, because it's just sex. <laughs> but the um, the NC-17 version well, and the PG version are both available on the uh, ASC archive, which I believe is now called trekiverse.org, which is, is what I went back and read. Then I will link to that one in the show notes rather than the one that we <laughs> used. That sounds like a much better idea. Well, we will have had a slightly different reading experience then. Have you read both versions of the story out of curiosity? Um, for the sake of this podcast, I'm going to say that until I was 17, I had only <laughs> read the PG version. <laughs> I mean, I was more wondering if you had not read the NC, the, the PG version, uh, which seemed like a possibility. Um, because, I mean, I mean for... <laughs> I went back, when I went back and reread this, I reread the NC-17 one. Mm -hmm. um, but there is nothing missing from that that is in the... PG. Does that make Got sense? It. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I figured. There's a, there's a fair amount of fading to black in the version that we read, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> which, um, which is fine, because I imagine that if there were explicit sex scenes in this, there would be a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, that that is also accurate. <laughs> yeah, just for the sake of uh, it's not incredibly short. I forget what the word count ended up being. It's like in the 60, 70,000 range or something, the version that we read. It took a little bit of time to get through. Mm -hmm. um, so it's probably just as well. I didn't have to do more skimming. Uh, but maybe we can talk about what the sex scenes add to it once we get into that content. Yeah. Why don't well, we... yeah. Oh, sorry. What was that, Tori? Oh, no. Go ahead. I was going to say, how about we jump into the content of the fanfic, starting from the premise, which I've got to say, I, as a total, you know, nerd and continuity nerd, I like it when fanfics have a very, very specific place they, they're set in canon, and this fanfic absolutely does. Right. It's right after Generations. Yeah. Which I wanted to rewatch Generations, and then I ended up just watching episodes of Picard last night, so. Because <laughs> I finally got a CBS subscription. That sounds good, too. I haven't seen any of Picard. So far, so good, but. I don't even know who Picard is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Generations, um, I do remember some parts of it. Data gets his emotion chip, right? And there's some conflict with that. Yeah, yeah, and that's relevant to this story, too. Right. But I don't remember a lot of other stuff. Maybe y'all remember better what happened in Generations. I would say the, the big thing to remember is, or to know going into this story, if you haven't rewatched Generations, is that uh, Data has his emotions chip, 
and he he struggled with integrating it into his his systems um, mm-hmm. and, and is still sort of learning how to regulate emotion and that the enterprise d is destroyed oh and yes like the saucer section crash lands and those are that the two big, big things to know <laughs> right yeah that's a big point because that's where we start right here is like after the right after the crash right yeah uh does one of you want to describe kind of what the setup for the story is in the first chapter or two what happens um it's actually interesting because you're not sure exactly where the story is going at the beginning except that there has been the crash and there's been 17 people are dead and they're on another ship, right? Because, you know, the Enterprise has been destroyed and everyone's kind of reeling from that. Beverly's basically running around the infirmary of a very, um, a handsome younger doctor, basically, is how he's described. And, <laughs> and trying to help out, even though, you know, she's just a visiting doctor, she's obviously overworking herself. And at first, this doctor has a crush on her, right? So I wasn't sure. This doctor seems like a total, like, Kirk character or a possible, <laughs> you know, like... I was thinking maybe this was going to be a story where um, he was supposed to be the main character, right? And he was going to get with Beverly because he's the author's creation. I was like, no, 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 because he was awful. But he gets shut down really <laughs> quick by Picard. And I love that part because they kind of leads you in that direction. And then he gets shut down really quick by Picard, who's like, Beverly needs rest. And I'm going to take her back home with me because apparently his brother and nephew have just died. So another yeah. tragedy that they're dealing with. <laughs> and that's right, another that's thing coming to remember out of, too. <laughs> right, that also yeah. came out of generations, right? Right. And so mm-hmm. that caused him in the movie to be thinking about like issues of legacy and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's invited Beverly back to his family vineyard um, with him, and it's kind of she's kind of going as like s- emotional support for him, but he's also using it to kind of make not make her but like uh as a way to help convince her to like take a rest from working 24 7 you know medically and we from the very beginning have kind of what's going to be fairly constant of other characters talking to picard and beverly about like so how come you two haven't hooked up yet (laughs) yep yep (laughs) i kind of forget like when's that gonna happen And I kind of forget who it is in those very early chapters. At the very least, it's Troy uh, talking to Beverly. And I feel like it's someone talking to Picard that kind of has the same vibe, too. I think that's Riker. Riker, yeah, that makes sense. He's not as as overtly. Yeah, there's definitely, like, some some girl talk happening. I'm going to say it's quickly revealed that there's a bet on them on whether (laughs) they're going to get, when they're going to get together. Yeah, that comes back later. Actually, it turns out to be a whole betting pool, not just about mm-hmm. whether they will, but when, down to the day, or possibly time of day. That like, Anyway, it, it's a kind of a joke later on in the fanfic, but was that established this early on? It was established earlier on. I don't remember exactly when. It's just kind of funny, um, because you can imagine, you know, it, they've known each other for 25 years. They have been on this ship together with the, the rest of the crew, and obviously, like, it's all the main characters that are tight with everyone. Of course, they're wondering when those two are going to get together because <laughs> yeah, the audience is. <laughs> there's also the, in in the grand scheme of Next Gen, you know, the episode attached where they're, you know, linked mentally and can hear each other's thoughts and then like have that, that sad dinner that ends poorly. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> at the end of the episode, that's at the end of season seven. So from the character perspective, this like we almost got together thing just happened not long ago. Oh yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I I don't know anything about that. It seemed to me that the situation here was being presented as mostly just they they've been friends and or kind of formal dating romantic partners for so long that it's just kind of crystallized as that being their relationship and it's very awkward for either of them to try to like change that that and the fact that she was her um her husband was picard's like close close friend like his best friend so there's some element of like implied i think the show implies that he like because he respects his his friend who has passed that he's not going after beverly for that reason yeah there's the best friend's wife aspect and there's the commanding officer aspect and then depending on on the fic and how much you want to read into it there's the afraid of losing the friendship if this doesn't work out aspect and those in in picard crusher fandom tend to be the three main points of conflict (laughs) (laughs) i think those all come across to greater or lesser extents here yeah um but i'd say the author does a really good job of kind of building up that sexual tension because about you know by the end of the second chapter i was also like wanting to mash their action figures together and being like now kiss already yeah (laughs) <laughs> and I was a little bit worried that that was going to continue for a very long time, but, <laughs> but luckily it doesn't. They, they go back to the Picard vineyard, and there's, you know, there's stuff with Picard's family that is well done, but I'd say in the larger scheme of the fanfic, it also kind of exists in its own little subplot for the most part. Um, like, it doesn't majorly impact the way anything goes with any of the main next-gen characters, but, like, his sister is, you know, in a in a rough emotional spot and, you know, can't hang out at, at the house they were living in anymore and is going to, uh, to live with, is it her sister for a little while? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's his yeah. sister-in-law going to stay with, with her sister and her right. family. That's right. Who also live nearby. Or, yes. I, I guess. I, I don't really have a sense of distance in the Star Trek universe or whether distance actually matters to anything at all. Supposedly also in France. Okay. Right, because yeah. the kid, the the kid andre can go by himself can run actually from his house to the picard vineyard okay it's just later on other characters are showing up and it's like well i guess they're like transporting over or something right they're not walking yeah there's there's talk of like streetcars and shuttles and transporters but they definitely mention at one point that um the that andre the the sister's son runs from his house to their house mm-hmm <laughs> So that the the two where Maria is is close enough, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, some implication that yeah they're they're kind of in a small community of uh, what do you call it? Vin- what is the word for someone who makes wine? Vinter or something? And that Vinter sounds just, right. Yeah, I forget, but kind of a small community, right? Um, yeah. Kind of out in the <laughs> French countryside of English speaking French vinters. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> French is a dead language. <laughs> Uh, I, maybe it's implied that they're speaking French. I don't even no, no, no. know. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure it's established at some point in Star Trek that it's just no one speaks French anymore. Oh. It's a, just a universal translator. It's not the important part. <laughs> okay, well. Yeah. <laughs> the important part uh, for this fanfic is that, um, you know, Picard and Beverly, ta- is it weird to call him Picard and her Beverly? 
That's Picard what the Crusher. fanfic does. That's why I was thinking about that. That's I was like, I want to call too. it Crusher, but she gets called Beverly in the story. And they actually specifically address that Picard is trying to call her Beverly, right? And so that's, and like everyone's, she's, he's trying to, she's trying to name herself Beverly because she's trying to not be a doctor or an officer and take time off work, basically. So she tells everyone to call her Beverly. <laughs> anyway, they're left, you know, alone in this, you know, cool retro farm, not farmhouse, but like. There's definitely a lot of internal dialogue for Picard about him needing Beverly to make the first move or give him a sign or like show him that it was okay to to take the next step in their, in their relationship. And I guess because he's afraid to ask. Right. That's definitely the vibe. But of course, um, not to completely gloss over that kind of opening, re-opening of romance there, but once they get going, of course, they're, he's ready to like commit for life to her immediately, practically. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, I've been in love with you for 25 years. Let's do this thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's interesting because um, it's kind of what you would expect, but I'm not sure. And it works well. It's just I'm not sure exactly. Well, they kind of go over this in the story. I wasn't sure what exactly prompted Crusher in that moment to be like, this is this is what we need. But they kind of go over that, that it's like this combination of well, we've been through this huge loss of the Enterprise and things are changing. And it's like, we realize, Picard at least says he realized later on that he, you know, he wanted a family and he was running out of time and he wanted to focus on this now. And I think it works for the story. Yeah, I also like that, I don't, it's, it's not heavily emphasized, but it is a disruption of their hierarchical relationship because there's no ship for them to be on right now. He is not the captain right. for a little while, and she is not, like, reporting to him at this time. Yeah, he uh, specifically says the Enterprise isn't waiting for us this time. Right. Yeah. Oh, and so they only intend to go to check on Picard's family for, I don't know, a couple days or a week, but um, it, sort of, it sort of extends their vacation that they decide to get together. Yeah, he, he, like, stops checking his emails and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, if they really need me, they'll know where to find me. And aside from the romance, one thing that I like kind of as a subplot in the fanfic is this hearing from Starfleet that's kind of hanging over the background where, like, they need to go in for... What's it called? It's, um... A court-martial? Is it is it a court-martial, though? Mm-hmm. Is it in another term? I, I believe it is referred to as a... Inquiry okay, or yeah. a court martial yeah, or inquiry, po- possibly right. both. It's that feeling. And, you know, because they lost the ship and like these capital ships of Starfleet are kind of a, a huge big deal. And so they need to justify the actions, including the fact that like Picard wasn't even on the ship at the time. And, you know, you, on the one hand, everybody's like, well, it's probably fine because we did the best we could and, you know, adhered to Starfleet regulations, whatever the hell those are at the moment and all that kind of stuff. But it's also kind of like a possible source of anxiety because, you know, I remember Picard commenting at one point, it's like, yeah, well, after the initial hearing, we'll see whether they're really trying to find out just what happened or whether they're looking to put the blame on someone. Mm-hmm. And like, right. that's definitely a possibility. And yeah, that's just kind of floating in the background, but it, it's interesting. It comes up every now and again. 
and it just kind of sits in the back of the story like oh when is this going to actually happen um, yeah I, li- I like that it's simmering there for a long time yeah <laughs> well and that's their they, they have to go through that before they can go back out into space right whether it's on another enterprise or uh, on another assignment so that's what is the the real reason that their their so-called vacation keeps going on is because they're waiting mm. for this inquiry to start right yeah that's right but at the same time, like you mentioned, Amato, uh, <laughs> Picard stops checking his messages. I think you can kind of, what the author's kind of built up a little bit is he's learning to live a different way, right? He's realized the importance of family. And now you kind of get just these these pleasant moments of him being with, with Beverly and of him being with his family and learning to be around the kids is kind of part of it. It's, I guess, what I would call a wholesome feel, <laughs> Um, cause there's this one kid who's really, his nephew's really interested in, um, in becoming a doctor and there's a whole plot thread with that, but that, for that reason, he wants to ask Dr. Crusher all of these questions. And Picard, of course, has this thing about kids where he's kind of awkward around kids. Um, so you just get kind of like cute family moments, I guess. I like that people like the, the handsome young doctor early on and this kid are kind of like falling all over Beverly because I'd forgotten until this fanfic that she she was actually a really big deal. She was head of Starfleet Medical for a while. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't quite remember that she had reached quite that level of prestige in her profession. That's right. Yeah, she's pretty famous. I mean, that's what happens with your, your side characters on Next Gen. Is it they get promoted to get them off the show for a little while? <laughs> <laughs> or get fired by uh, sexist producers. Um, but- <laughs> yeah. The no, like we, it happens. I think mostly with with the women on Next Gen, with Troy and Crusher, is that if you think about it, the senior staff on the Federation flagship are all going to be at the top of their fields, but the writers of the show gave them what a lot of people refer to as nurturing roles, and you forget mm-hmm. that they are accomplished scientists and the head of Starfleet Medical. And I think that's why, um, I think that's really why uh, the Picard Crusher fanfic fandom um, became as big as it was for a while, is because these are the people who who remembered these things and wrote them into the character and made them, you know, Crusher, we're not there yet, but has a a whole scene in here about like, I I love you, but you don't get to speak for me. And, you know, having a spine and and speaking up for herself and being brilliant and being, you know, determined. And these are things that we see in glimpses on TV, but that fans are exploring in fan fiction. I mean, that's the point of all fan fiction, right? We're not talking about the story anymore. Just tell me to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that's that's fine. And actually it points to something that I appreciated, which is like, you also get to see Picard's kind of flaws built up. Because it's easy to get those lost, you know, in the show. Like, it's like, oh, he makes a mistake every once in a while. But he does have ongoing character flaws, like kind of being a little overbearing sometimes or being very (laughs) stubborn. And you see those come out in his relationship with Beverly. And I feel like that was really good of the author to put that out there. Because, we, you know, I think a lot of people maybe idealize his character. And this makes him a lot more human. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Apropos of nothing, just thinking of him being overbearing and stubborn. 
I just love that YouTube compilation of him shutting down Worf every time Worf expresses security concerns. <laughs> it's just like 50 times in a row, Worf saying very reasonable, like, no, we need to prioritize the safety of our... And he's like, overridden. <laughs> uh... And we were, in talking about the, the inquiry, we were saying, you know, they all know it's a formality, but they're all anxious about it anyway. And it reminded me of a meme I saw recently of like, you've been hired, but you need to submit a drug test. And the person thinking, oh, my God, what if I'm a drug user? <laughs> <laughs> right. Or, yeah. or a background check. Oh, my God, what if I have arrest warrants? <laughs> like, <laughs> I understand that anxiety for sure. Right. Yeah. It's an anxious yeah. thing. And that's exactly the sort of anxiety that Picard has. Like, what if I did something wrong? Even though, you know, he there's nothing he could have done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though I know I didn't. What if I did something wrong? Yep. Right. So the thing that's happening in this middle part of the fanfic is, first off, you just got Picard and uh, Beverly kind of together, exploring their relationship, just oozing new relationship energy out of every pore. They're <laughs> definitely like the kind of couple you could not stand to be around at this phase in their relationship. Um, but I guess their friends have more grace than I do because we start getting other characters coming in to check up on them or visit. I mean, it starts with Picard um, finally getting in touch with Riker kind of just to catch up on what's going on at Starfleet Central and that kind of thing. Um, or, or does Riker finally get in touch with Picard? I forget. Uh, Riker call, leaves Picard a message and Picard calls him back. That also, and that leads to him visiting. There's this concern Beverly has over like where the hell Wesley is and the fact that like she cannot get in touch with him and he has not, you know, called home or anything like that. Um, which also ends in like him getting to visit. And then you have basically the at one point or another, the whole main cast, right? Kind of drop in to visit or have dinner or, you know, say hi or do some kind of errand one way or another. Yeah, it's actually, I think it's the, the night before the first day of the court martial. They have right. the whole senior staff over and make that them makes dinner. Sense, of course. And announce their engagement. Sorry, I just read this, and yet these details have already slipped away from me. <laughs> they did get engaged very quickly, but yeah. they explain that it's been building up for 25 years, so okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, yet another trope of, of PC fanfiction. Of they've been everything but physical for the last 25 years, so they're just going to get married right now. <laughs> and also get very, very physical. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. I almost feel like that could be jarring, but I feel like the justifications that the author presents just kind of, because they address it, it just kind of makes it work. Right. And so, want to talk about anything more from kind of that stage of their relationship, or should we check in on some of the other characters a bit? The one thing I found um, jarring on my reread, because I mean, I read this first in when it came out in 1995, but um, <laughs> is how quickly like there's there's this proposal obviously that happens quickly but the the response that that beverly basically has is and we'll have children <laughs> like mm -hmm. right away and i mean yes it's the future but i'm still in my head and my i'm thinking like how much time is there left for that well you know? i will <laughs> check that too and I mean, she must know the state of her like reproductive system. I'm sure. Right. She's right. only in her. She's in her late forties. Like, uh, depending on, like, unless she has early menopause, like she, 
I, I hope that, you know, women's health research has progressed a little bit by Star Trek times compared to the underfunded situation right now. So, like, may, maybe it's just pretty much okay. Right, but that also means that he's he's 19 years older than her, so he's in his late 60s. That's true, too. You know, and I, I feel like there's a conversation of, like, do you want to have a teenager when you're 80? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> but... It's a it's a fluffy sappy story, so I'm not going to harp on it. <laughs> yeah, and I think we're also you know coming out of generations the movie, and mm-hmm. like knowing that he does kind of and and it comes up in the fanfic too that's like the continuation of the Picard line is actually in the end important to him. Like it is right. something he wants to do. They're not thinking forward maybe to that point where he's 80 years old and has a teenager, <laughs> uh, which sounds unpleasant enough when it's going to be like the 40s for me. <laughs> but but yeah. I'm sure I'm sure they can handle it. I don't know. I thought you know, I I wish the author had addressed that a little bit because they address pretty much everything else about their relationship, but like they don't ever mention, but maybe it's just the expectation that people will live longer and be healthier in, you know, live utopia. Long and prosper, perhaps? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but it is like it's a utopia future right but pretty much like earth is advanced medicine they can cure anything with a shot you know like right unless it's yeah. in space <laughs> so maybe right picard at 80 uh barring any kind of you know degenerative brain disease that can't be helped with future science or whatever barring that kind of thing presumably <laughs> he'll still be in better shape than a you know 21st century person of that age would be right oh, well, yeah I don't want to jump too far out of order, but there there is a concern that comes up about the potential for eremotic syndrome. Right. Yeah. Which is and- another point of, at this point, fine attention to continuity, because I know they've brought that back in the Picard series, right? Yeah. There's but- there's a lot of callbacks to, to very specific things in next-gen episodes. That's just which, like one again, next-gen episode, Again, knowing the right? author, I am not surprised at. But- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. It's like, as I mentioned before, I was, I'm watching the Picard series. I just started it. And it's like a lot of the stuff that this author brings up are in the Picard series. And I'm like, oh, well, they obviously were paying attention to the same details that like the show creators were, right? Um, but the one thing that was weird about the, the syndrome is they said something about that he might develop it in like 25 years or something. And I was like, well, in 25 years, wouldn't he already be like 80 or 85 or something? Yeah, I think that's the the number being used just because it's the amount of time that he jumps in the finale episode. Oh, okay. Which is when we see that in the future as a possible, yeah. you know, issue in his life. Mm-hmm. Right, right. But right, I know that's that's a fairly long time in the future. He's already going to be pretty old at that point. He's already be pretty old, yeah. But I, if they're talking about having kids, I get it. So mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. that does come up and good details like that. But we were kind of um, just getting to the part where they'd announced their engagement, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it, it's the same pattern with multiple people of everyone being like about time and clapping them on the back and, you know, being very happy for them or whatever. Um. There's a, there's a second relationship, though, also kind of in the background of this story, which kind of echoes this one. And it's interesting because it's it's about Riker and Troy, mostly, except that mm-hmm. also Troy has kind of been dating Worf recently, and kind of what that whole situation is. 
And it's kind of presented in a similar way where Riker, I guess Riker and Troy like were an item for a while and they weren't. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's like whether whether he wants to, or whether each of them want to kind of try to start that up again with the other person and whether that would work out and that kind of thing. It's more, it's interesting in a, in the sense that this main Picard crusher relationship, you're like, well, the fanfic's about this. It's going to work out. Like, they're already banging, like, every <laughs> chapter. It's great. But, like, mm. I, I genuinely did not know where exactly this whole situation was headed. And it seems, you know, extra awkward and potentially messy. Yeah. Well, at first, the way it was brought up is that, like, Worf and Deanna had gone to visit, I don't know, someone's parents. Her parents? Troy Her, her mother? Worf. Yeah, her mother, right, her mother. Um, and it was almost like Worf was going to ask her to marry him. But what's interesting about this whole relationship arc is that that's not what where it ends up going. Yeah, it's I, actually a part I didn't really remember until I, I reread it was that Troy essentially admits that like she's not sure she's looking for anything serious with Worf, mm-hmm. but is just like having fun. Which, okay, that's fine. But like, what is, what does Worf think? And we basically, when they, when the both of them come into this story, they're, the implication is that they've either had some sort of fight or discussion. And she has gone off for the last couple of days, uh, Troy, to sort of take some time to think about what she wants. And when, when they reconvene at the Picard Vineyard, she still doesn't. Mm-hmm. But like, as far as we know, Worf is all in. If if Troy is, and we don't really get his take on this at any point. Well, someone does chat with him later on. It's like Riker talks with him later on. He's like, "Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't. I'm not sure we're on the same page. The cultural difference is an issue. Like, it's kind mm-hmm. of surprising, but he seems sort of to maybe having second thoughts, at least later in the story. Anyway, it's it's an interesting aside, and it's. I'd say part of the interest comes in the fact that what we see of it is so incomplete compared to what we're seeing of Picard Crusher mm-hmm. that you're kind of with them trying to like figure out. So like, what's, what's the deal? Where is this headed? And yeah. not to, not to spoil things. It, it ends with the end game. It's Riker Troy there. And they right. just kind of do the same thing and like decide, you know what? Yeah, we're doing this at least as far as we, the audience see. During this time, there's also, it's, it's really brief, but when, when West shows up to visit, he and Beverly talk about like him finding a wife specifically and having children. And then when data is there, he asks Crusher about, you know, what, what if I created another child? What if I created a wife? Could I marry Mm -hmm. a human? So there's definitely this ongoing, I don't know if you want to call it a theme or a setup, but this, this ongoing thing with characters coupling up or settling down or having children. Right. Yeah. And I like Riker kind of gets to be a foil for Picard in a way, because he has this whole thing where he goes to goes over, they tell him about the engagement and just, and just, just Riker there and they all get drunk celebrating. Right. Um, and he admits how strongly he feels about Troy and how long he's felt that way about her. And like, uh, I guess, it ends up going the same direction, right? He has to admit his feelings <laughs> so that they can get together, 
which, okay, you know, it's the, the parallel they're working with. And I always kind of felt like Riker and Troy had this strong connection. I just, I'm not sure if they are a good match or not, to be honest. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. So in that sense, I didn't care too much about them. I wasn't super invested in, in their relationship, except in, in that it was kind of like a, um, a, kind of like a messy situation. Yeah. But Data, though, I feel like Data's concerns kind of come on the heels of, like, he's had a, a daughter that he made before, but, you know, her brain didn't work, so... Um, and that was really tragic for him, and now he's got all these um, this new these new emotions, like, of course that's where he's going to be coming from. His friends are getting married, and he's thinking, like, oh, yeah, could I do that? And what I really appreciate about this fanfic is Data's inquiries and dialogue are written so well i mean i think everyone's is but i love the tone of data in this yeah i agree and and he also has like really interesting issues so right there's that issue of reproduction and he's kind of thinking about he's still thinking about in terms of like not letting his parents work or you know legacy Mm, legacy yeah yeah legacy that's that's definitely part of a theme here yeah but anything else uh or should we move on kind of more into the inquiry stage of the fanfic? I think that's fair. I think part of the reason we're having a bit of difficulty talking about this is that the conflicts in these stories kind of come up, you know, there's no one overarching conflict. It, well, there is. It's this court-martial. But the main <laughs> thing we're following is the relationship. So you sort of forget about this court-martial until the end, and you have pieces of just character moments. But then, of course, they have to have the hearing. It's not so much like a, a plot plot for the throughout the story as much as it is like slices of life during yeah. this time. The author's note on the website kind of warns you like there's barely even any starships in this fanfic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just about the characters. Yeah. Yeah, I like that note. It was a little bit snarky. It was like something about if you don't think Star Trek's about the characters, then you're not paying attention. I'm like, <laughs> agreed, agreed. They also do a shout out. If you don't think Trek isn't about the characters, read anything by Peter, quote, the great David. <laughs> is that another fanfic author or one of the official no, novel he's, authors? No, he's a profic author. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time when, you know, this was originally posted in 1995, he was really one of the only profic authors who, like, leaned into the sexual tension between Picard and Crusher. Ah. So he was um, oft lauded by, <laughs> by the <laughs> fandom. <laughs> so for the court martial, it's it starts off seeming like it's gonna just mostly go smoothly, like they they have various experts there to ask questions, and then you know they go through the whole thing and they're like, oh well, it sounds like you all did pretty great, and I like that there's there's a trip up at the end where they ask, oh, and you haven't discussed any of this with anyone besides your legal counsel, right? And Picard's like, ah. Uh... <laughs> because he's talked about it with Beverly. Yeah. And he, and, he, and he can't just say, like, nope, because that would be not Picard. No, he's not going to lie. <laughs> and then, of course, I, I think he's receiving, he's being represented by the the admiral that he knows. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has to, I forget the admiral's name. So this is another one of those, like, really specific callbacks. There is a, a early on episode of Next Gen where they find this human kid living with these aliens. And it turns out, I think he's the grandson of Admiral Rasa. 
Mm. And the admiral presiding here is Admiral Rasa, and it's her husband who is his legal counsel. Oh, okay. Right. What, one of the things, um, one of the things here that it kind of shows is that Picard has friends in Starfleet. Like, he's, he's well regarded in Starfleet. He was at least in theory worried about the politics, but nobody's actually trying to take him down here. And in fact, some of the people high up on this are sort of inclined to be his personal friend anyway. They're just like, oh yeah, no problem. And also, you're getting married? Great. Like, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll freaking plan your wedding for you. Also, we're inviting all of Starfleet. It's yeah. <laughs> like... Yep. <laughs> that's kind of but, the vibe from the admirals there. Totally. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then uh, I think it's Admiral Ross who, who takes him aside and kind of gives him this advice. He's like, talking about, I've been married for this long. And, you know, anything you say to your wife is not privy to anyone else. <laughs> like, basically <laughs> advising him to lie on the stand, I guess. <laughs> but, that, yeah, no. A- that was a bit of a weird scene, definitely, because they're mm-hmm. saying like, you you know you you shouldn't keep secrets from each other, but you also should know what not to ask. But also, anything you do talk about is nobody's business. <laughs> like, yeah, it was like it's very like so. What what should we have done based on what you're telling us? And they're like, exactly <laughs> what you did. at at one point it's it's almost like they're implying like oh and don't worry about infidelity just don't ask the questions you don't want to hear the answers (laughs) i mean it's not it's not quite that much but it's like kind of what they're hinting at and Mm -hmm. i what i kind of like about that scene even though it's a weird scene is just (laughs) that it is kind of that vibe of like people who are much more experienced with you with like their relationship. Like they've, they've been married for like a million years and they feel like they have this huge wisdom to impart. And we, meanwhile, Picard and Beverly just kind of have to like nod and, you know, inwardly be like, I'm not sure how much anything you're saying applies to our specific relationship. Like, like right. you clearly think that you're, that you need to be giving this wisdom and we need to be receiving it. Right. Yeah. Like the paternal role that they're the married, older married couple is taking on. And then you even right. see a little bit of bickering between the couple, right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. it's, it's funny. It's definitely a trope, I think. Yeah. It, it rings like the kind of situation you might encounter, even though it's very odd and honestly uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and I think the sum of the advice it's sort of like whatever happens in a marriage stays in a marriage, right? Like nobody else needs to know, which is okay. I guess they kind of get what they're going for, but yeah. <laughs> I don't think as the audience, we're supposed to take it super seriously. <laughs> no, I don't think we're supposed to be like, this is what the author thinks about marriage. No. This is the ultimate point right. of the fanfic. It really is a scene where like someone who is kind of a, like you said, a paternal figure, even in Picard's life, who's like even higher up in Starfleet and stuff is taking and, or both of them, I suppose, are taking it upon themselves to do this. I definitely think it's supposed to be cute. Yeah. But I think it's also sort of a reminder that, like, we've never seen Picard have a serious relationship. Yeah. You know, I'd forgotten that. I was thinking about this before because earlier in a lot of the scenes with Beverly, he does come across as very kind of bashful in some ways. Uh, sexually or not sometimes romantically other times he can say totally sappy things with a straight face but like some of the time and it did make me think back like is this the first like serious relationship he's been in if not ever then like for a million years or what 
Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. his, his, I think the implication of the series is that his, like, his relationship is with Starfleet, right? Like, he can't <laughs> yeah. have, his thing is he's a captain. Like, he can't have other relationships because he's exploring and he's responsible for all these people. And, like, basically, if he had a relationship, it would be with someone who was on his ship, therefore would be a subordinate of his, right? Or was not on his ship who he'd never really see because he'd always be out there trekking around. Right. And I, I think that the, the takeaway that is intended is like, you, you know a lot, Picard, but you don't know about this. This is a place where you are inexperienced. And it's it's a little weird to me that, that Beverly is also getting this, like almost dressing down about marriage, um, seeing as she has been married previously, <laughs> although it yeah. was, you know, as a much younger person. Right. Yeah, it does sort of seem like, I mean, I appreciate that a lot of things are done well from Crusher's perspective in this, but it does sort of seem like for, especially towards the end, like she's kind of along for the ride in some of the scenes that are directed at Picard. However, it's not too far after this that she actually gets to address how Picard's been treating her kind of like she's along for the ride. So that's interesting. (laughs) Well, speaking of her being along for the ride, we should get to a scene that Sue kind of uh, mentioned earlier, but we kind of have to lead up to it. There's a second <laughs> round of inquiries, like after they talk to Picard, they talk to other people on the ship, right? And mostly it goes fairly straightforwardly until they get to Data. And there's this really cool scene with like Data at this uh, court-martial where mm-hmm. one of the people who's like a long-time kind of bureaucratic figure in Starfleet kind of takes it up kind of starts grilling data about specifically his emotion chip which he just got in that movie and the role it played in his decision making in whatever climactic events that I don't remember too well caused the the Enterprise to be wrecked right and there's some implication that like the um the person who's trying he's trying to basically treat data like he should have sacrificed himself in order, even if, and data data calculates this small percentage, like 3% chance that it would have saved the ship if if he'd sacrificed himself. But they basically say like, oh, well, you should have just done it anyway, was kind of the implication. Um, And then they get to address that, you know, the passion around data, data, I keep calling him data, why do I do that? (laughs) Data being a person and not just a part of the ship. Yeah, I thought it was cool. And I think it's well done, yeah. I I thought it rung true that to this guy who does not know Data, it's like the idea of, oh, sacrificing a robot, which is not specifically, you know, useful or a person for a 3% chance or whatever of, like, saving a star, like, an Enterprise-class starship, sounds (laughs) like a pretty good trade. And if you were behaving logically, you should have realized that too and done that. And it's completely unfair to Data, of course, because that's, you know, as... Picard gets up shouting angrily in the middle of this hearing, you know, because he's just so upset. That's not something they would ever ask of any, you know, other crewman. Right. But it's just because it's just because he's an android that like this kind of scrutiny is being held to him. And like he might be he's being held to these higher standards of self-sacrifice by at least this one dude. Or if not a higher standard, certainly being considered expendable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a really good thing that I think Picard points to when he he actually has an angry outburst and storms out. 
and says something to the effect of like, just because data can remember with perfect memory, like everything he felt, every calculation he did in the moment, like every choice he made doesn't mean he should be held responsible for like every moment of thought because like a human being would be like, yeah, well I did feel this way, but like, I couldn't tell you, you know, what my precise decisions were instant by instant in a crisis. (laughs) Right. Not to mention the fact that in the end he did make a very good decision that was probably the most like balanced, you know, know, at the time he thought it was the most balanced, most helpful decision he could make. And he did that and it was very helpful. It's just that he, he sacrificed the chance to fix the whole situation and save the ship. Maybe very possibly while almost certainly dying. Yeah. The 3% (laughs) chance to maybe save the whole ship. Right. Right. Um, And so Picard, you know, storms out and, you know, pulls Beverly along with him. And, you know, goes all back home, and he's, like, ranting about this asshole in Starfleet who, like, was, you know, making these unfair leading questions to Data and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and the whole time we kind of have a window into into Dr. Crusher's head where she's just like, man, um, I'm just going to wait for him to calm down, but inside I'm sort of seething about this. <laughs> like, she's yeah. waiting to dress him down <laughs> that he shouldn't have done that. She's not his accessory. You can't just drag her around. Yeah. Uh, he, 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 like, you know, somewhere in his mind, he was just like, oh, and obviously she's on exactly the same page as me, or, like, or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's no way she could think differently about this or about, you know, the how I, how they couldn't stand to be in the room for one more second or whatever. I was going to say, I think it's it's really well done because so far we've gotten kind of a idyllic view of their relationship. And this is, yeah, this is a very potentially real conflict for them and like right now crusher needs to like set the tone for their relationship and say like you know i know you're prideful i know you know you have this passion but like i'm gonna be my own person and you do not get to treat me like i'm going along with everything that you do and i thought it was a really important moment for the relationship because like i said before it sort of seemed like she was being dragged along even before that so mm-hmm. that was interesting and before before this point, their whole relationship has taken place sort of in isolation, mm-hmm. right? So they haven't really had to deal with Starfleet. Very rarely have they had to even interact with other people. And, you know, would would he have done such a thing if this had, had if, if their relationship had not progressed to this point, right? If they were still, like, just friends, that never would have happened in an inquiry. Mm-hmm. So what it, it makes... But I think both the reader and Picard sort of stop and say, why does this change in relationship mean that he would behave this way towards her? Right, and yeah. we get the, the temper that we often hear about but don't often see on the show of her just laying in and saying, you, you don't get to do this, you don't get to treat me this way, you don't get to make decisions for me, and you don't get to speak for me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it's a credit to... Picard's character and also the way it is written that he doesn't get defensive about it. No, I mean, he, he's totally he recognizes, He's like, oh, I did do that. I'm, yeah. that, uh, that sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Tori, it's just like you said, um, she has that, that thought specifically in her mind where she's like, I came down really hard on him, but I feel like I had to because otherwise 
that's going to be like the pattern that he ingests of like that that's kind of how he can act in this relationship. And, right. you know, yeah. and, if you don't cut it off now, it's going to get worse. Right. Mm. That's a really good scene in this story in general, both because it's like what's happening in the inquiry and with the data is really interesting and like a, a whole line of thought that like I would never even have thought of, you know, if the author had not introduced it, but also because it does show that this relationship's not being portrayed by the author as just like completely perfect, happy ending no problems, nothing to work on. And it's good to have that moment, yeah, because we have had a lot of, um, like Sue said, them in isolation just being happy, which makes sense, right? Like, they were happy to get together. But I like that we're going to see a different picture, like, that the relationship, I don't know, is becoming real, right? We know they're getting married, so we should know that they can deal with conflicts. And like you said, Amato, Picard, or maybe Sue said this, um, but someone said Picard deals with it really well. <laughs> like he looks at himself and he goes, oh, I messed up. And it's kind of what you would expect from him, right? He seems like he's a pretty mature in general, um, self-reflective. Yeah, I, so it works. I can see that sad Patrick Stewart expression on his face in that scene. <laughs> 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 Just looking real downcast. Yeah. <laughs> and then they have sex again. <laughs> <laughs> they do that a lot. I don't know if we mentioned how many times they have sex in this. It's like a ton. It's uh, heroic. Heroic levels of sex. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. You know, if that's the sort of sex scene that you want, there's a lot of it. If you really want to see these two characters have sex or read about it, this is the fanfic for you. I mean... I definitely had this moment, like, reading this, where I was stopping just thinking, like, yeah, you know, these are two very attractive people. It's true. So mm -hmm. I understand I understand the urge here, both, like, physically and as people. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, like, I, I did take the time to, like, sit down and calculate how old Picard would be at this point in the fanfic, or, you know, checking the, the Star Trek wiki and that kind of thing. And then afterwards, I was like, well, whatever. Like, it's Patrick Stewart. He's sexy at 80. Like, yeah. It doesn't really matter how old Picard is. No. Um, and he's got the stamina of a younger man. Advances <laughs> <laughs> in medical science. Right? <laughs> but so, that also brings us within spitting distance of the end of the fanfic, I think. I mean, we do have a scene we mentioned before that kind of wraps up Troy Riker. Um, and then you've got you've got this whole kind of final scene where Beverly kind of abruptly is like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like head out for a week by myself. I've got some other stuff to do elsewhere. And I just kind of need to clear my head separate from being next to you. And she doesn't explain it very much, which is why it's kind of like a, a big jolt to Picard. And he's like, uh, okay, yeah, yeah uh, sure, I'll, I'll see you later. And then he's like, mm -hmm. kind of, dwelling on it for the rest of the week. He's like, a, it's not that he's like actively worried, like, oh no, our relationship is over, but he's like clearly a little bit shaken. It's funny though. This is actually the first time I felt like his character fell a little flat for me because he like literally says something like, I can't get through this without you. And I, I'm like thinking about Crusher and I was like, 
she's only gone for a week. Like, why was he so despondent and overwhelmed by that? I think that in 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 character, he's not believing that something isn't wrong, or he's afraid that she's yeah. changed her mind, mm-hmm. or that that something bigger is happening. Where you know, in in the story, we're given we're given hints of what's happening, but she doesn't explain it to him until the end of of her trip. But she had had previously met this other doctor who's in town who specializes in neurologic disorders. And that's what sets her down the road of thinking about Earmotic Syndrome and what happened in the, the All Good Things episode and the possibilities of like what he could be dealing with down the road medically. And so she is, is really taking off to sort of research that. And I'm guessing that she decides to do this alone so that either he doesn't know about it or that like she won't get distracted in mm, doing so. Yeah. But, Fair enough. I mean, there's also at the same time that, that she's away, Picard is rebuilding the the barn that burned down that um took the lives of his brother and, and nephew. Right. And I mean, maybe that's the part that he's like, I can't get through without somebody here. Yeah, maybe that was the implication. I wrote it down, but it was like in a scene where he was talking to giving advice to Data, but maybe I was kind of misreading it. But yeah, he does. I did think about that. I thought about the fact that like, he's dealing with a lot of feelings right now. And maybe it's just in response to the fact that like, oh, for the first time since he's gotten here, he's alone in the family home. And that makes a lot of sense. It's just, I guess it's interesting how quickly they kind of developed a dependency, right? Like this is something he would probably have to do alone if she hadn't come with him. Mm-hmm. And I guess it is better that they are together, right? Because he needs that support. It's just, I feel like he's a character who's always kind of done things alone. And now he's very attached to Crusher, I guess. And uh, that's not a bad thing. It's just, uh, it's interesting how quickly that change happened. But you also don't necessarily want them to become codependent, you know? Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I read that partially. I mean, obviously, she's going off to to do this kind of research on neuromatic syndrome. But also, I, I kind of read it as her just wanting a little bit of space for a little bit of time to get her head straight and kind of think about where she's going in her life without it being next to Picard. Right, because yeah. there's there's certainly a level in this relationship to this point of, like, whether you want to call it honeymoon period or, like, infatuation, where it's possible that neither of them are really thinking straight. And there's mm-hmm. that, you know, I don't care what my next posting is as long as I'm with you, but, like, is that actually true? Like, what right. do you actually want to be doing next? Yeah, cause, yeah. Uh, I do find it hard to believe that Picard would all of a sudden be like, and I'm done with space exploration. Well, they it doesn't really play that up as a you know real, real possibility, but it does play across their minds as an option because you know the Picard vineyards are also important to him, and there's even like a scene with kind of like the other vineyard vinter, the other vinter who's been coming over to like keep an eye on their casks. Um, where the Vinter kind of makes Picard take a little bit of responsibility for, like, deciding whether the wine is done aging or not. Yeah. Um, which also, like, leads you to think about, like, well, 
might he just want to like settle down and focus on family and wine? Well, there's also the rest of the the senior staff who keep making comments about how comfortable they seem in the home. Mm. Mm. And they talk about the things that they have missed being on a planet, like sunsets and weather. You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and it's fair, you know, I think Picard would be late 50s by now. Like, he's not that far away from wanting to maybe retire. So I think that's fair. And I think the series does hint at a lot of times that, you know, he would go back home and retire at some point, right? <laughs> at some point. At some point. I mean, the Picard TV show has him retiring back on the, the vineyard, but he's like 80 by then. So <laughs> I don't know. I think he retired before that, but that was do something else. It's actually interesting how many similarities there are to like this and the Picard TV show. Well, they're both working off of that same, do you say it was the last episode of Next Gen, Sue? Yeah, yeah. The setups from, mm-hmm. from All Good Things, the finale episode. Yeah. And so, yeah, here in the second to last episode, they kind of have a discussion facing that where um, here it is, Picard saying, oh, Beverly, he sighed lightly. There's a part of me that wants to keep you here safe with me. And yet, and yet, she prompted as he stepped away from her to scan the room again, as if he could see the ghosts watching him from their hiding places. There are no guarantees. There's a little boy who should have been safe here. And yet... His eyes shut against the image of that boy trapped in the fire. And so it, it's presenting this idea that, like, the the illusion of, like, living safe and in, you know, in comfort and cozy in France, I mean, maybe it's safer, but also you just don't know what is going to happen. Um, and it's not like that is any kind of guarantee about, like, how their lives go. And in the end, they they do just go back into Starfleet. Yeah, there's, like, a very short last chapter right like mm-hmm. um it says like they both held positions that require they be on call 24 hours seven days a week but she could see the light in his eyes as he looked into the sky at night and she knew he wasn't ready to settle into comfortable just yet truth be told she was just as anxious to get back in space as he was so i guess they're just yeah, they're going to settle down at comfortable at some point, but for now they're going back to... I don't know if their relationship... They're getting married, but I guess their relationship is going to go back to being sort of like more like it was before. I mean, I guess Starfleet lets you serve in a similar capacity, or like in the same place being married, because the two admirals, you know, were on the same board of inquest and, and married and that kind of thing. Right, It doesn't yeah. seem to be a, an, an obstacle necessarily. Yeah, I don't recall if there were uh, examples of that in that we saw in Starfleet before that at this point, you know, in the timeline, but there certainly are now. You know, we've seen it on, on Lower Decks, we've seen it a few other places. But we also, in that final chapter slash epilogue, I suppose, uh, we see that uh, Picard has been promoted to Admiral. Oh, right, yeah. And um, so... Who knows, maybe it's it's a fleet admiral position. Maybe Starfleet has some sort of regulation where, like, you know, if you're already married when you get to the ship, then it's fine. Just don't, like, date your subordinates. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Like, they shouldn't exclude married people from serving together, right? That would not be good. <laughs> but hopefully by the time they're they're 
back out in space on missions, they've reached a point in their relationship where they can be in the same room without falling all over each other. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I like that's sort of the implication with the last line is like, they have one more week before they go into space. And it's like, um, they just say there's still a week of memories to fill. So it sort of feels like they, they kind of have this different life when they're away from Starfleet together, where they can be passionate with each other and they can be comfortable. But back in space is different rules, I guess. I mean, not that they won't still be together in space, but like, it'll be a different vibe. On the one hand, it feels slightly abrupt, that ending, but I do like that that's where the story went thematically, because so much of the story was about P slash C, like them as a couple, right? And, but then they, in making their decisions for their life together, you know, both of them want to continue their careers, and so they're not going to sacrifice what they're doing individually in their lives at the altar of the two of them as a couple, as a concept. Yeah, and I, I think it leaves space for other stories to be told about their relationship. Like, how does their relationship work when they're not alone in a house together for months at a time? Leave right. space? <laughs> uh, 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 the final well, frontier, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, there's an author's note at the end, which I assume was on the version that you read too, Sue, mm-hmm. saying that this is actually just the beginning rather than an end. AI started as a way to get the crew back into space and then turned into something much more. And the author goes on to say that there's follow-up stories. This was supposed to just kind of continue the story from generations originally, but then the author wrote, or was going to write, at the very least, uh, more stuff in this continuity leading off from this. Yes. Are you asking me if it exists? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I was waiting for you to jump in and tell us about it. Um, there, There is not... Let me see. There is not like a fic with this name part two, right? There's no uh, Dr. Iyer part two, at least that that I have found or remember. Um, But there are certainly other stories by this author. I think that, God, I have a vague recollection of one existing that was billed that had some other name and was like, this is the next story after a Dr. Iyer, but hmm. I, I don't remember what the title was. I feel like I should have done some extra research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she it's... doesn't say it in the author's note either. She just says, book two will be a direct sequel to AI. It's already yeah. outlined and finished in my head and how to translate it to electronic form. You know, the easy part. Right. <laughs> Once you have it in your head, just, just getting it down. No problem, right? Yeah, right? <laughs> Um, I imagine though that they did, yeah, if they wrote, if she wrote more stories, she went on to write other stories that were sequential to this, or like at least had these same, in the same continuity as this, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was, there was a sequel of sorts, but I, I wish I could point you to it. I don't remember. And there were, there were other like short stories in different continuities as well. That was a lot of the case for, um for that fan group is that there were like monthly writing challenges or what we call dribbles, which were like a hundred words period. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And, and lots of different prompts and things for, for silly stuff that came up. But yeah, the, the bigger stuff, I'm pretty sure it existed, but 
now now I'm just racking my brain and I can't come up with it. Hey Sue, I don't think I've asked you. Did you do any fanfic writing yourself in this community? I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can. It's terrible, but it is it is out there. But it's bad. It's real bad. <laughs> well, don't worry. We won't read it because on this podcast we only read things we have reason to think is good. Okay. So if you, can, if you can promise us that it's terrible, then we'll have no reason to read it. <laughs> it's oof, it's rough. <laughs> <laughs> We're our own worst critics. Yeah, yeah. No, I was I like, like 14 say. and like thought uh, I was a genius. It was that kind of like terrible mm. writing. No, I get <laughs> copying, it. I'm not going to... Copying the kind of stuff that you read another fanfic and think is good and it's just like trope after cliche after quote, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, I've got high school era fanfiction tucked away that definitely I'm not going to unearth either. I totally yeah. understand. That, that's why I'm always so grateful when... When we get in touch with a lot of authors of fanfics for this podcast, they tend to be very gracious about what we're doing. And it usually, you know, sometimes it can't be that pleasant to hear that somebody is going to be reading and seriously discussing something you wrote 20 years ago or whatever. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we've definitely encountered works where, like, they were almost positively written by people who were teenagers. And you can kind of tell. And I, I think it's, like, it's one of those things. Like, we all wrote bad i guess you would say we, we were growing right we all wrote things that we would be proud of now but it was part of mm. our growth and then we stopped writing <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh well anyway this fanfic does not read like it was written by a teenager no no <laughs> she was not at the time <laughs> <laughs> yes this person clearly had a good grasp on relationships and a really just impressive knowledge of next gen's characters well how how about before we start getting into the praise we should complain about things in this fanfic because that's the order we do things is there anything before our final round of praise for this fanfic that we'd like to say we didn't like or that we didn't think worked as well as it could have or that we would have liked to see improved i still think that i don't know picard's voice towards the end was a little bit weird for me like he's he names he names this kitten bounce because it like because it jumps a lot and i was like i'm trying to imagine picard naming a kitten bounce like maybe yeah. maybe but uh anyway it just sort of seemed like he was acting a little a lot more domestic and like very just a little more dependent on crusher like less of his own person towards the end than i i thought of picard but that's kind of minor because I feel like it only kind of comes up towards the end. Like everything before that is pretty solid and for the characters' voices. And the only other thing that I would complain about is maybe the fact that if you're not into seeing these characters have sex or like be romantic, <laughs> it it's not like I, I didn't mind it, but I felt like there was a lot of redundancy in like every time something happened, it was like, and then we have sex. Like a lot of times. I mean, but if that's, that's what you're looking for. That's, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I there's the for me it's um the thing that feels a little bit out of place is the the scene where Picard and Riker are like trying to out macho each other or like drink each other under the table. Oh yeah, prove yeah. they're more manly and like I don't know. I don't know if it's just like me not liking that kind of thing or if it felt 
Like, it, it felt more in character for Riker than it did for Picard. Definitely. Um, I mean, other than that, understanding that this is a 25-year-old fan fiction published in 1995, you know, it is reading it today. I think the thing, the other thing that stuck out to me the most is the how heteronormative it is. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's true. But, you know, there's there's product of its time but that only goes so far etc etc yeah well i was about to be really petty because one of the things in my reading uh through was that the punctuation was distracting there were like commas where there should have been commas and not commas where there should have been but you just linked me to the trekiverse copy of the fanfic or you know both versions of it and i'm glancing through it and i think it had another editing pass i think it's unfair of me to complain about that it looks like the version that I was reading, it just maybe had one less read-through than this version that is a text file that I'm glancing at right now. Yeah, from what I can tell in the, the Trekiverse um, archive of it, is that it appears to have been a repost mm-hmm. of the original individual threads. So it, it that might be the case. It may have had another editing pass. It might be. Anyway, other than that, I'd say, as a reader, right. I'm not the audience in any way, but like as a reader, the kind of middle section of the fanfic did drag to me because it just kind of hit the same notes too many times. And like, yeah. I understand, you know, the value that people who are into this relationship are getting by that relationship kind of circling around and hitting the notes and, you know, exploring the pleasure and the joy in that relationship. It's just that, like, I, I could have... From where I'm reading from, I also agree, Tori, it, it just could have been condensed more or like yeah. made a little bit tighter. It, it kind of becomes a pacing issue, yeah. but I can see how if you're in it for the sex scenes, you wouldn't be worried about that. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's also at the time, I, I feel like I'm sounding defensive and I don't mean to, but maybe explanatory. It's also at the time where, you know, a chapter would be posted maybe once a week, maybe even farther apart. So it's, it's almost in that like serialized storytelling sense. So I think if you're reading it all together, you get a different idea for the, the pacing and whether it's dragging or not than you did reading it in real time as it was being posted. That makes sense, yeah. That's a really good point and something I was not thinking about. And yeah. I think maybe I don't think about often enough. Um, the fact that these, these chapters were posted as chapters, not as a whole work. And I mean, that's where, where I have sometimes difficulty, and this is even in watching episodes of Next Gen, is that uh, there's such a nostalgia that I have for them that it's hard for me to sometimes be like, oh, right, here's, here's this perhaps issue with this piece of work. Yeah. Well, well I almost felt that way about this fanfic because it read like really um, Next Gen-like to me. Like the characters, for the most part, were like, there's a part where... Jordy only shows up a couple times, but like for some reason, every time he spoke, I could hear his voice in my head like perfectly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this made me nostalgic for next gen. Well, how about we uncork your enthusiasm, Sue, and move on to final praise? <laughs> what is it that we really like about this fanfic? And Tori, uh, I'll just lead off of what you were saying, Tori. You were mentioning Jordy's voice sounding really good. I think in general, the voices of the characters are very well done. And I. And I feel like occasionally there's a scene that really popped for me with the characters, and several times it was with Data. I think I might just want to 
praised the use of Data in this fanfic specifically, because I thought his voice was great and the scenes he had were interesting, like the significant scenes, both of which came up in the main discussion, right? Where he kind of uh, has the conversation about like reproduction or like what form his legacy or, you know, descendants might take or and that sort of thing. And his scene in and after the court-martial were like both just scenes that kind of stand out for me for, I guess, just kind of their interest in that character and some of the questions that he faces in his life as a android. Yeah, I think, I, I certainly agree with that. I think overall character characterizations were mostly spot on, like almost always. Um, I think the, the dialogue is really good in this one as well. And if you if you know it, as I mentioned before, there are tons of callbacks to little things from throughout the, the seven years of Next Gen. Um, yeah, and this was, like, I'll, I guess I'll just say it for the 15th time. Like, I read this in real time for the mm-hmm. most part. And, like, I have, I have memories of reading certain scenes on my family computer, like, after school. You know, um, specifically the the scene during the court martial where uh, Data and Beverly are are talking about like his future and his family. Like I know I can picture exactly where I was and what was going on in my house <laughs> twenty five years ago when I read that for the first time. It's a very strange thing, <laughs> but and this is this this is a Picard Crusher story. It's billed as a Picard Crusher story. It is, you know, that's that's what you're signing up for by reading it. But it also makes, I think, very good use of the other characters, which is not always the case when you're in a relationshipy fanfic. Yeah, yeah, and like you know, for being about this relationship and and kind of showing us the sweet, intimate moments of the relationship, it does that very effectively. And I know we keep saying the character voices are strong. They are. They're super strong. But also, like, I feel like despite the fact that you wouldn't normally, like, you wouldn't expect to see Crusher and Picard get together in the show, because that's kind of the whole tension is that they, they almost never really do, or you wouldn't expect to see this, the tone still feels very next-gen. Like, the problems that arise are next-gen. And that's true. the world is built. Like, there's little details like, oh, the house doesn't have a replicator, so they have to figure out how to cook, and and they're not that good at it, you know? Like, or I think Crusher is, one of them's not as good at it as the other. It's, like, feels Star Trek world. I like it. Yeah, even down to the fact that, like, bad or really tragic things happen, but it's essentially optimistic about the future. And that's mm-hmm. Star Trek, right? Yes, yeah. And, you know, there's emotional moments to deal with, but, you know, we use them to, to kind of bolster ourselves and become strong. Like, yeah, very Star Trek. Are there any other comments we want to make about the fanfic, or should we close this out? Yeah, I guess just we forgot at the top to mention, um, I, I want to, you know, give the fic its flowers. Back in, in 95, when it was originally posted... That was the first year for the ASC Awards, ASC being the Alt Star Trek Creative News Group. And uh, this story won both Best Picard Crusher Story and Best Next Gen Story overall. So, Was that for the preceding year or for all fanfics posted to the internet before that point? Because sometimes that's how it works at the start of award. I believe it was for the previous year. 
but I don't hold me to that. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely worth noting, and I can see how it deserved it. I also think we didn't mention that you checked in with the author, yeah. Henning J.A. <laughs> Lopez, and she gave her blessing for us to talk about this on the show, so I'd just like to thank her for that as well. Hopefully we didn't say anything too crushing about this thing that she wrote like a million years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have mentioned to her a few times that, you know, as as new people I know find next gen or get invested in, in these characters, this is the fic that I still recommend. And she sort of like laughs it off, but is kind of embarrassed about it. And it's a little bit adorable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, this was, this was the one, this was the one that everybody in the fandom like held in such high regard for a really long time. Thanks for putting it on our radar. Absolutely. We find things that we have reason to think are good, but they aren't always good. And this mm -hmm. was very good. So a good recommendation. It really helps have someone who was really in the fandom and the fanfic scene to like give those recommendations. Because otherwise I'm sometimes down to, well, someone on the internet said it was good one time on a forum thread. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. it's a little bit weird to like... I'm diverting a little bit, so forgive me, but like I have, at least as, as long as I have I considered myself an adult fan, have been like a student of fandom. Like I'm fascinated by like the 70s era of fan fiction and the fan movements and the conventions and all of this stuff that happens. And now like I'm beginning to realize that there are, there's a younger generation of people like me who are now looking back at 1995 with the same amount of awe. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> bit weird. Yep. Uh, we haven't... I know we've gotten a couple of older, um, you know, original series fanfics from kind of the pre-internet era. Mm -hmm. I think we did at least two. You mentioned the official fanfics, and we did one of the fanfics that was published in, what do you call it? The New, the new Journeys? Uh, oh, well, the, yeah, yeah. The official, like, hey, let's grab some fanfiction author's work and maybe edit it without their permission and publish it. Right, book. right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's there's a lot of uh self-publishing uh in in fandom in the 70s and that created a lot of there's a there's just a lot <laughs> yeah i'm thinking of the book that like was officially licensed but mm -hmm. i i forget all the details that was the mind sifter story if anyone wants to go back and listen to that episode when it was fresher in my mind <laughs> as for this I will put the links up to both versions of this story um, on the show notes. And can you also remind us one more time, Sue, where we can find you online? Yeah, absolutely. If you want to hear me talking about more Star Trek stuff, you can find the podcast Women at Warp at womenatwarp.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. If you want to find me personally um, to, I don't know, argue about OTPs in Star Trek, I'm on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. Thank you. And if you want to hear us talk about more old fan fiction from various other series, this is, I'm afraid, the last episode where we are going to be exposing a fanfic to the cold, harsh light of 2020. Starting next episode, it should be our first January 2021 release, and it's going to be the future We'll have to see how old fanfiction looks in the cold, harsh light of 2021. <laughs> Maybe completely different? Who can say? <laughs> Does that make it our... Is this, this is the third time I've had to change the, the year that we say in our intro? 
we started in 2018. 2018. 2018, Isn't 2019, that crazy? 2020. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Look at us growing and changing as individuals <laughs> and as internet entities. Well, we'll close out 2020 here on the nice round number of episode 103 of Retro Fantasy Retrospective. <laughs> um, I think we're going to say Audactor Ire. But that's how we're going to say that you pronounce the name, or AI, by the author whose pen name is J.A. Lopez. That's how you would find them online, right? B.A. Lopez. Oh, B.A. Okay, yes. B.A. Lopez. Thank you. Yes. And once again, I'll link to both the NC-17 and the PG version of the fanfic on the show notes. The intro song for the show is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. And you can find this album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Our show is edited by Dom Davis. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And you can also find us on Twitter at retrofanfic, Facebook at retrofanfic, uh, Instagram at retrofanfic, and Reddit at fanficretrospective. Sorry about that. You can contact us at any of those, or if you have other questions, comments, or thoughts, you could also send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. Because, you know, you're, you're probably feeling retro after listening to this, and you probably want to use email to communicate with people. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Sue. We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other. Until next year, take care. Uh, we forgot to prime Sue on our ending note. Oh, no, but we got it. <laughs>Closing out after Take Care, and now we have no one making some kind of little quip. I know, I keep uh-huh. thinking about it, but I'm not as quippy as Dom is. Like, I can't just... I don't know. Maybe we just need Dom to hop back on to make a final quip. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the problem with not having a male child on the podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. No one's seeking that attention.